Hey everyone. Once again, it's great to be able to welcome you into my living room for our teaching time today. And uh, as I always try to mention, uh, I'm very grateful, thankful, feel very privileged that you've again invited us into yours. Today, I, I want to talk to you about racism. So the discomfort level for many of us just went up by a little bit or maybe a lot. What is racism? Well, John Piper says in his book, Bloodlines, Race, Cross, and the Christian, that racism is an explicit or implicit belief or practice that qualitatively distinguishes or values one race over other races. It might be difficult for us to admit it, but right up front, it seems very likely that we tend to absorb racial bias without even knowing it. At its core, racism says, I'm better than you. I'm more valuable than you. I have more worth than you. A racist heart ends up dehumanizing those who are different from them. From them. And folks, I'm doing this talk a lot because I believe that we must call out racism when we see it. Now, I realize full well that I may offend some of you today because I, I won't say something exactly right. There will probably be some things left unsaid that I should have mentioned. I also fully recognize that there is a very real and raw racial tension in our country, in our community, and maybe even in our church. I fully understand that every voice on this matter is not offering helpful or godly counsel. And I know that without a doubt, there are many wonderful and respectful men and women who work in law enforcement. In no way am I, am I condoning the violence that's being perpetrated on either side of a particular protest in the cities around our country. But as I see those protests, and as I see that frustration and that rage, uh, I recognize that as Martin Luther King Jr. said, a riot is the language of the unheard. As my friend and, and fellow pastor David Washington said recently, I am slow to criticize wounded people when their rage emerges from their oppression. I'm not saying it's right, but I understand. And as I engage in this talk today, I also echo the, echo the words of, of another pastor who's also an author by the name of Matt Chandler when he says, I'm a white dude born to white parents living under the privilege of the dominant culture. So I, I think that in one way, I'm the last person who has any qualification to speak about this topic. I'm certain I won't capture it with every nuance. I feel very honestly embarrassed, overwhelmed, frustrated, powerless, and overall just inept to even talk with you for 25 minutes about the to topic of racism in our country. I shared that kind of sentiment with many of my African-American friends this week. And you know, I, I feel kind of like uh, a king of Judah whose name was Jehoshaphat. When Jehoshaphat faced a military battle that seemed likely uh, to end in a loss, he uttered this prayer humbly in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 12. We do not know what to do, he said to God. We do not know what to do but we look to you. 
So I'm going to ask that you please forgive my limitations and hear my heart and what I believe to be God's heart on this matter. Like Jehoshaphat, let's look to God in humility together. Would you bow your heads as we pray together? Heavenly Father, we, we need you. As we've already reflected in our worship time today, we, we need you. And I need you in this moment, God, to be the one who is doing the speaking. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher today and what you want communicated would be highlighted and remembered and all the stuff that is unnecessary, just let it be forgotten. May what comes out of my mouth, Lord, and what's in my heart, may it be pleasing to you. May it challenge us. Use it, Lord, along with the work of your Holy Spirit to convict us and ultimately to change us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we get started today, uh, I want to share just a couple of presuppositions that I have with you. The first is this. I believe racism exists. I know this because of what I see, what I hear, what I read. I know it from experience. So my focus in this talk is not about trying to prove to you that um, racism and injustice against people of color has existed or that it does still exist. I believe that it does. There are many incidents that could be, could be listed here, many stories that could be told, but the names of those that are fresh in our mind because of what's been happening in our culture are like those of uh, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, David McAtee, and of course, George, George Floyd. Again, we, we could uh, cite statistics, uh, we could talk about particular studies, but I'm simply making this presupposition, this assumption that racism does exist. And I believe, sadly, it exists not just in our culture at large, but in the church, in the family of God. And that breaks my heart. And I think it's totally unacceptable because my second presupposition is something I know from scripture. And that is this, racism is wrong. It's sinful. The Bible says in Genesis chapter one, verse 27, that God created human beings in his image. In the image of God, he created them. He created them male and female. Ravi Zacharias kind of nails it when he says this, the reason we are against racism is because a person's race is sacred. A person's ethnicity is sacred. You cannot violate it. We are, we are of various ethnicities, but the reality is that because of what scripture teaches us, we are only one race. We all ultimately are descendants of those first human beings. We're all related. And so as one author says, the heart that believes that one race is more valuable than another is a sinful heart. And the behavior that distinguishes one race as more valuable than another is a sinful behavior. Racism exists 
and racism is wrong. And in light of that, again, knowing that there's no way that I could give uh, an exhaustive, um, all fully comprehensive talk about race in the next 20 minutes or so, I want to just simply share with you four or five things that, that God is laying on my heart, things that, that we need to do, a posture that we need to embrace as it relates to this reality of racism, acknowledging that it does exist and acknowledging that it is sinful. The first thing then, the first response for those of us who are Christ followers is to repent. If racism exists, and if it is against the will of God, if it is inconsistent with the character of a Jesus follower, and I believe that it is, then we must simply and surely turn from it and turn to God's way. The heart of repentance is leaving one way of thinking and acting and being and doing and embracing another. That's the heart of repentance. And so again, if it does exist and it exists in our heart, and, and it's something that's part of our life, then we simply need to turn from it. We need to repent of it. And sometimes I, I know that, that uh, for some of us, we might be thinking, well, I, I don't know that I've ever been someone who's enacted in, and, and lived out these, these really uh, overt acts of racism. But sometimes it's just in our silence. Sometimes in, it's in our negligence. Sometimes it's just in our ability to kind of look the other way. And I would suggest to you that even those things are probably not fully in the will of God. Even those kind of ways in which we engage in, maybe you would call it a passive racism, I believe those things are inconsistent with the character in the life of a Jesus follower. And so we must turn from it. That's how we deal with all sin in our lives. Paul says to the, to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 7 that godly grief produces repentance. If we're grieved over something in our, in our lives, in the life of our culture, it, it should produce repentance. It, it should produce this turning from and turning to, which is, again, the heart of repentance. When we, when we recognize something in our lives, be it racism or any other sin, we don't, we don't justify it, rationalize it, dismiss it, defend it, or ignore it. We repent, we confess it, and we receive forgiveness. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. A, a first step that I believe for all of us is to hit our knees in godly grief and repent of any way in which we have actively or passively engaged in any form of subjugation of another race. Secondly, I think we need to listen. James 1.19 says, says this, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Proverbs 1.5 says, let a wise person listen and increase learning and let a discerning person obtain guidance. Perhaps we all need to do a, a better job of listening to each other, 
listening to people who are different than us, listening to people who tell the stories of what it's like, who are, who are oppressed, who are vulnerable, who are held at, at a distance or pushed to the margins of our society uh, for a variety of reasons, including the color of their skin. Perhaps we all need to read something like uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter, uh, letter from a Birmingham jail sometime. I know personally I've reached out to some of my brothers and sisters who are, who are African-American to ask them to, to process with me, to help me, to educate me. I've been in dialogue with my friend and ministry colleague that I mentioned earlier, David Washington, who's the founding pastor of Canton Christian Fellowship, which is a predominantly African-American church uh, just down the street from where uh, Calvary's campus is located. No one automatically admits bias or prejudice or, or hypocrisy. So, so let's listen. Let's take a posture that we don't know everything about someone else. Let's listen and let's learn. The first step, repentance. Second step, let's listen. Third, pursue. Now, I realize that this is a little bit uh, controversial. It gets a little bit sticky, but I think it's still something worth uh, considering. I believe it's part of the Jesus followers calling to chase after diversity and, and to engage with, with people who are different than us. To, to engage with people who are, who are vulnerable and oppressed. I think this calling is both personal and corporate. We're drawn to those who are like us, and we're repelled by those who are different from us. Homogeneity is the path of ease, and it's the, it's the path of comfort. Diversity is uncomfortable and difficult, but I believe it's absolutely better because it's biblical. In Galatians 3:28. Paul says that our unity in Christ trumps many, many other things, and, and one of those being uh, racial superiority. Our unity in Christ is that which trumps everything else. Galatians 3.28 again says this, there is, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. When we're pruned or disciplined, it's, it's usually painful. The pursuit of holiness hurts sometimes, but let's be honest, we won't drift toward diversity. It just won't happen. It's kind of like marital oneness, marital intimacy. If we don't pursue it, if we're not intentional about building intimacy, we will drift apart. And if we're not intentional about pursuing diversity, reaching out, desiring to be in relationship with people who are not exactly like us, it's most likely that it won't happen by accident. Sometimes it might be forced by something that happens in community or at your workplace, but I'm talking about those people that we pursue because we desire to be in relationship with them beyond just a workplace or beyond just a, a high as we, as we leave our, our front step. The lure of homogeneity is always so real because again, it's so comfortable. It's so easy. Matt, Matt Chandler, who's an author and a pastor says it this way, to embrace diversity is to lean into uncomfortable conversations and to risk being misunderstood. 
Let's enter into that uh, tough and, and maybe awkward dialogue by intentionally taking relational steps towards someone with a different background than ours, with a different skin color than ours. Let's take that risk. Let's pursue diversity and see how God might grow us in our understanding of his love for all people because we begin to develop a relational base of people who, are, who aren't all exactly like us. Let's pursue it. Paul describes God's vision for a, a wonderfully reconciled community when he says this in Ephesians chapter 2. For he, that is Jesus, is our peace, who made both groups one and, and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh, he made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed, and expressed in regulations so that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. Jesus has restored and reconciled the races. And I believe he calls for each of us to live in that kind of reality. The fourth word and the fourth challenge for us is to embrace. Embrace. What I'm talking about is love, but I use the word embrace because of the picture that's in our mind when we hear it. We embrace our spouse or our significant other. We embrace those people whom we love. A great friend, a trusted sister or brother in Christ, a child or a parent, a loved one, someone who's dear to us. We love them. Love, of course, is the distinguishing characteristic of the Christian community. It's the greatest commandment. There's a well-known story found in Luke chapter 10 where Jesus holds up a Samaritan who is a, 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 a person, part of an ethnic group that was despised by uh, Jesus' fellow Jews and viewed as a half-breed. And Jesus in the story that he tells in Luke 10 holds that Samaritan up as the, as the hero in that story about being a, a compassionate and loving neighbor to others. In fact, the lack of love is inconsistent with the life of a Jesus follower, according to 1 John 4. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says it this way, love is a safe place of shelter, for it never stops believing the best for others. Love never takes failure as defeat, for it never gives up. Love never stops loving. Love is that ideal. <laughs> love is that feature. Love is that aspect, love is that characteristic of a Jesus follower that transcends everything else. And so we need to embrace others who are different than us. Not just acknowledge, not just say, yeah, I, I work with someone who's of different color than me or, or there's someone who lives on my street who's different than me, but I, I'm talking about welcoming, welcoming each other into deep relationships. And so that's why I use that word embrace because it pictures intimacy. That's what I believe God desires for us to have with all people, not just people who are just like us. 
And the last thing I like to say about in this short list of some things that I would, that are just all my heart that I would encourage us to think about. The last word is strategize. Strategize. Acknowledging my own inadequacies, biases, limitations, and everything else. I want to work with others to enact change, both personally and systemically. Remember how earlier I mentioned uh, Jehoshaphat and his prayer and how he was looking to God and he didn't know what to do, but he was looking to God. Well, as we do that, I, I'm, I'm asking God to make me and, and all of us like a different group of people. They were known as the Issacharites and they're referred to in 1 Chronicles 12 as people who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. Now, the context of this is the time period between Saul's leadership and David's reign as the kings of Israel. So Israel is in the midst of this governmental upheaval and uncertainty. And this group of people, these, these Issacharites, again, it says about them that they understood the times and they knew what Israel should do. And that's what I'd like for us to do, to understand the times. The word understanding means to, to have skillful insight. It's important for us to have insight into what's going on in our society. This word also has the idea of, of turning away from evil. And so we must not cave into our culture, but instead we must live counterculturally as the people who are, who are um, uh, working against injustice and against racism. We need to understand the times. It also says about the Issacharites that they engaged their culture. They knew what Israel ought to do. This, this phrase actually kind of refers to a, to a moral obligation or a purposeful response. We must be engaged with people, not enraged at them, but engaged with them, moving from understanding to then action. God is calling us to revolutionary love, not, of course, reactionary hate. We've analyzed, we've understood, and, and now we're going to act. We're urged to, to discern our culture and then to, to deploy into the culture as ambassadors of Christ. Maybe a simple prayer is something that, where we just say to the Lord, God, help us to understand culture, our culture. Help us to understand people who are not like, help, help me to understand people who, aren't like, who are not like me, who are different than me. And help me to engage with people in order that I might share love and truth and the gospel of Jesus. As it says in, in Amos chapter 5, verse 24, may our hearts kind of cry out that, that we want to see a mighty flood of justice, an endless river of righteous living. Racism, I believe, exists. And it is wrong. It's sinful. So I'm just asking us to respond in these ways, if that's true. To respond in repentance. To respond by listening. To respond by pursuing people who aren't like us. And embracing them in loving relationships.
by strategizing about what we ought to do and then actually doing it. Friends, I don't think we can remain silent. Martin Luther King Jr. said this more than 50 years ago, and I think it rings true today. In the midst of blatant injustices inflicted on the Negro, I have watched white churches stand on the sideline and merely mouth pious irrelevancies and sanctimonious trivialities. Let's get off that sideline. Let's get in the game where the battle is taking place. I understand it's risky. I understand that it's painful. And there's a chance we'll mess up. There's a chance we even lose. But the safety and the security of the sideline just won't do for those of us who have surrendered our very lives to the one who gave his life for us. Maybe he's, maybe he's calling us to be his people, his witnesses, his ambassadors, in a way that perhaps we've never, ever been before. I want to check in. I want to be involved. I want to be in the game. I want to check in, not check out. Can we check in together? Can we unite underneath the call of Jesus on our lives? filled with this Holy Spirit, walking in surrender to God's will. I pray that together we might be actively involved in seeing our society become something different than what it is. For the benefit of everyone and for the glory of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need you. I pray that you would have the reign and rule in our hearts right now. I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would do something beyond our wildest imagination. That you would bring about real change in us first and foremost. And let that change spread to our culture, to our society. Shake us, Lord, from our, from our ignorance and apathy. Shake us, Lord, from our inactivity. And move us, Lord, to a place of engagement. Move us to a place, Lord, of, of empathy and of, of relationship. We pray, God, that you would do this for your glory. We pray that many of us would recognize the need for the change to begin first within each of us, but then collectively that that would grow and spread and multiply, that we could work together to be agents of change as it relates to racial reconciliation in our society. Thank you, God. We love you. Amen. Hey, as uh, Rich is leading us in a closing number this morning, um, if you want to 
talk with one of us, uh, one of the ministry staff persons here at Calvary. Uh, there are links that are being dropped into the chat feature of the stream you're watching. And if you click on that, you'll be taken out into a private conversation with uh, one of us. Uh, we'd love to talk with you if you have a prayer need, if we can help provide any spiritual counsel. If you have a question about today's talk topic, any of those things or anything else, uh, just take advantage of that feature. And we'd love to engage with you in that manner. Thanks so much.
Hey, thanks so much, Rich. What a great and powerful reminder for all of us. And before we sign off today, uh, I just want to remind you that uh, you can always reach out to me if you'd like to talk further about uh, today's topic or anything else. Uh, I want you to know that I'm available to you. Drop me an email, uh, dave at cbcjoy.org, and let me know uh, how God would be maybe leading you, uh, especially to be engaged in this calling of racial, racial unity in our church and in our uh, society at large. Thanks so much again for joining us today. Hope you have a wonderful week. Look forward to seeing you again soon.